0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective 2020 on Vision.
1: A new book tells how one couple's lives and love story became swept up into an ancient, beautiful story much larger than themselves. The world of romantic love and sexual ethics looks different when seen through the lens of this narrative. In this book, uh, there's a description of an attempt to live out. This ancient story's wisdom in modern times. The new book I'm talking about is called In Love, the larger story of sex and marriage. The author is Dr. Ryan Messmore. Now, Ryan directs the Millis Institute. It's a Christ-centered, tertiary liberal arts program that he designed at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. There is a launch for the book. That's how new it is. In fact, uh, when you Google it or when you try to get a hold of it, uh, you may actually be on a uh, a list of uh, being available when the book is actually able to be sent out to you. But there is a book launch that's happening where you can hear Ryan speaking about the book on the 7th of March between 5 and 6 at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. I'll tell you how you can get a hold of it as we get our conversation underway. But a special welcome back to 2020, Ryan Messmore. Great to talk to you. Wonderful to be here, Neil. Thanks. Well, Ryan, this is your story. And the dimensions of this are just profound mm-hmm. because you're taking up a ancient uh, and wonderful tradition of how marriage came together in biblical times. And you've actually applied this into your own romance. So we are going to hear a love story today, but give us an in-the-nutshell version of of your love story. Sure.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the, most, the two most important decisions I think anybody could make in life is, do I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and who am I going to marry? And as it turns out, those stories are actually interwoven, and we understand uh, the biblical story. Um, um, I I came upon this connection early when I was at university, at Duke University in the United States. And as I began to court or date uh, my girlfriend, uh, we began to make intentional efforts to incorporate aspects of the ancient Jewish betrothal story into our own relationship. So what would that mean for the way that we um, dated, for the way that we got engaged, for the way that we planned our wedding, for the way that we thought about marriage. Um, so the book talks about how I, Karen and I, my soon-to-be wife and I, tried to incorporate uh, this Jewish story into our relationship. And then the deeper story that we came to realize is how that Jewish story illumines the entire biblical narrative.
1: Okay, now, when we talk about illumining the biblical narrative, uh, when we talk about a betrothal and going back to these uh, ancient times, uh, the betrothal. And and I think, you know, when we uh, when I think of uh, betrothal, I think, well, uh, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, uh, you know, in the story of the very first Christmas. Uh, When you talk about the connections to these ancient times and what that might mean for the present, how do you actually make that connection?
2: Sure. Well, the thing to understand about betrothal in Jewish times is it's not it's not exactly the same as engagement is today. Today engagement is the very first step. I want to marry you, do you want to marry me? Okay, now let's start talking, now let's start planning, perhaps let's do premarital counseling. Um but that's that it doesn't have anything binding. You can break an engagement today. In in biblical times, betrothal was very serious it was the entering into a covenant uh, this was a legal uh, relationship and it could not um, be broken and and it was the end process of talking discussing coming to terms with what does marriage mean and that sort of thing so we thought that 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 sort of intentionality of, of, of that people approached betrothal in the biblical times um, would be good for, for us to, to take that seriously as we were thinking about approaching marriage.
1: Okay, so when we talk about betrothal in that first-century context, uh, describe just how that betrothal worked, because I know it's a, it's, it can be quite a sophisticated story. Uh, mm-hmm. Give us a, give us a, a gentle, easy-to-understand way
2: that that process worked. Sure. Well, the first thing that would have happened is that a young man and his father – would have come to the house of a young woman and her father. Now, this could have been the first time that the two uh, young men and young women even saw each other. So, um, but they would work out the terms of marriage, and they would write this down in a covenant document called a ketubah. And then uh, they would present this to the father of the young woman. And if she agreed, uh, she, the, the young man would offer her a cup of wine, and she would take the wine, and if she agreed to the terms, she would sip The cup of wine. And then he would say, this cup represents a a new covenant in blood. And that's how important that people would have taken this. The the wine represented the blood of an animal. And back in those days, if you were to cut a covenant, uh, to form a covenant, you would slice, you'd kill an animal, slice it in two, (laughs) and then you would walk between the separated carcass. As if to say to the covenant partner, if I break the terms of this covenant, May what happened to this animal happen to me. That's how seriously they took the covenant nature of marriage. Um, Then what's very interesting uh, today, couples after engagement, you know, they might, you know, go on a honeymoon or, you know, celebrate with family. Back then, the young man, the young woman left each other and perhaps did not see each other for another year, which is just mind boggling. Um, He went back to his father's homestead and began building a house, a, a room onto his father's House and this would become their residence. Uh, when that was done, which often took up to a year, he would go claim the bride, um, bring her back to the father's homestead, and there they would once again read the covenant document formula. They would sip from that same cup of wine, and then they would um, consummate the marriage sexually. So that was that was the process in Jewish times, and it really it speaks to the covenant nature that of marriage as they saw it.
1: Let's talk about how you might relate elements of that ancient covenant process to a modern-day marriage because it would seem to me, and lots of listeners will no doubt be Uh, drawing some uh, parallels to uh, all of those sorts of spiritual processes, uh, the shedding of blood and the cutting of the covenant, we we can can really relate those to our Christian walk. But it demonstrates, doesn't it, just how far watered down the idea of the strength and value of a covenant is in marriage today. So when you relate this to your own experience Mm -hmm. and to the way we typically think about marriage here in Australia or in the West, Uh, How do you how do you describe that watering down?
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, a couple things. I I think the first thing has to do with the way that we think about love and even the way we speak about love back then. in that sort of story, uh, this sort of covenant could not have been based on kind of romantic butterflies stirring in the stomach. They had just met each other, perhaps. And so it had to be marriage had to be based on something deeper than felt love. And so that's one of the big things that Karen and I began to think, what would it mean to view marriage not based in romantic love, but based in something else? What else would that be? Covenant faithfulness. So as the emotions come, as they go, as they wax, as they wane, we certainly hope the feelings are there. But if the feelings subside, that doesn't mean that the covenant of marriage can be undermined and broken. It's not. It's a covenant. A covenant is a lifelong uh, relationship. Another thing that that we thought about was, when does the discussion about what marriage means take place? Uh, Back then, in biblical times, it took place before engagement. Now, we get engaged. We set the date of the wedding. We send out invitations to everybody we know, and then we begin to talk about budgets and whether we want to have children and And that's a lot of pressure Uh, if if an argument comes up or a disagreement comes up. It's it's a lot of pressure to say, well, I'm sure we can figure that out later. The date's already set. So Karen and I said, what if we went through not premarital counseling after engagement? What if we went through pre-engagement counseling? And that's what we did. We went to our pastor and said, everything you do with with premarital counseling, do with us before we get engaged. And it can last as long as it needs to. And then you tell us when you think we're ready to be engaged. And, and that's what we did. And we think it was very helpful to spend that amount of time without any pressure of a date or uh, invitations already gone out to really ask the big questions and to wrestle with those with our pastor. What you're
1: talking about shakes up the thinking. ...on what we think about marriage because we are so inculturated as to the way we do things in marriage. And, of course, lots of migrants have come to Australia and they've brought with them their own cultural settings, uh, you know, whether it's European or whether it, wherever it might be from. Uh, everybody's brought into a bit of a melting pot and there's a certain sense in which the way we do weddings, the way we think of marriage, is really like a, a bit of a cultural melting pot has, of course, its Christian foundations because of our wonderful Christian heritage here in Australia that's given us marriage uh, that used to be performed largely in the church by a minister of the gospel, and that would be... uh, uh, These days it's changed, and uh, now more people are getting married with a secular celebrant. There's no connections to these wonderful, rich heritages that come from our Christianity and from wonderful stories like the betrothal story. So when we talk about what's happening in the Australian context today. How do you see things, Ryan? I mean, do we need a major shake up here? Are we just getting swept along with the current of cultural relativism that's that's going along with relationships?
2: Yeah, I, I think we are. And I think that, you know, I, I look at young people who are getting engaged and married today and who is providing the script. I mean, they're all following a script. Most weddings tend to look pretty much the same. You didn't, I think Martha Stewart, you know, and, and the wedding industry is telling young couples, you know, you, you wear a white dress and then you have bridesmaids on this side and you do this and you say this. And a lot of us don't take the time to step back and say, why are we doing this? What do these traditions mean? What is the veil that the bride wa- wears over her face? Where does that come from? That has, that has meaning and significance to it. Um, and, and so Karen and I began to think, you know what, it, marriage is not something we get to make up it's not something that she and I get to determine the boundaries of. This existed long before she and I got to the earth, and it'll continue on long before she and I die. I think the bigger question is, what is this larger story? What is this larger tradition of marriage? And we need to come to it asking, what does it require of us in order for us to live up to, you know, the standards of, of being married successfully? It's not that we're going to, we're going to, come up with what we want marriage to be and and you see this a lot today with with couples you know making their own vows Um, karen and i came to the church and said church we want you to tell us what we need to be committing to and we want you to help us to become the sorts of people who can do that well i think that that it it sounds countercultural. that's actually a more liberating that's actually a more freeing story to be a part of to know that there's something deeper that's going to hold us uh, when our own willpower and our own emotions subside. There's something deeper there that's going to sustain us, and boy, I want to be a part of that.
1: So it is countercultural, but it is liberating, as you say, because most young people, as we could probably include that most people everywhere, don't necessarily understand all of the dimensions that you're clearly articulating in your new book. So what we do need to be is told what is the right way. Having confidence as to which is the right way to marry is the next big question. How right. do I have confidence that this betrothal story is better than some of the other more modern uh, differentiations that uh, people come up with uh, when we talk about marriage?
2: Right. I think that the key there to recognize is that there's, there's no such thing as simply Going on your own and, and doing marriage your own way, you every couple is going to resort to some underlying story. It may be subconscious, they may not you know be able to articulate it, but we are all going to to find a script, and we're all going to to follow that script as you suggested right now, the script that's dominating is the cultural, the one provided by modern culture it's a story of romantic love. You find, you find Mr. and Mr. Wright, you fall in love, you get married if you want, you have kids if you want, and then if, if those feelings fade, you look for somebody else. That, in the end, is not as satisfying a story. That's not the story we were made for as human beings, as lovers. And I, Karen and I are arguing in this book that there is a story that fits who we were made to be, and it's the biblical story.
0: This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our
1: special guest is Ryan Messmore. He's the author of a new book entitled In Love, The Larger Story of Sex and Marriage. Uh, we're going to take some callers in just a few moments. Uh, don't want people to uh, miss a important connection here, Ryan. The connection biblically to what the strength of marriage means today. How do you describe that?
2: Yeah. Well, I think the important thing is recognizing the entire biblical story takes form as a divine marriage. And it's right there from the front cover to the back cover of the Bible. If you think about um, Yahweh um, in the Old Testament, he comes to Israel and he says this formula um, over and over again. He says, I am your God. You are my people. That's That's a betrothal formula. That's a covenant formula, just like the young man would say to the young woman, today I have become your husband and you have become my bride. We see prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah talking about God's relationship with Israel in terms of a marriage. God gets angry and jealous when Israel whores after false gods, it says in, in Hosea. When you get to the, the New Testament, you have John the Baptist describing himself as the friend of the groom. You have Jesus referring to himself as the groom. And at the high point of the story, I think, at the Last Supper, you know, this Jesus takes a cup of wine and he turns to his disciples and he says, this cup represents a new covenant in blood. And then he offers it to them and they take and they sip. Now, in that day, in that language, what would the disciples have heard and understood Jesus to be doing? Might they have heard that as betrothal language? Well, what's the next thing Jesus says uh, at the Last Supper? He says, I'm about to depart from you. And where am I going? I'm going to return to my father's home and prepare there for you many rooms. And one day I will come again to claim you as my bride. And I will bring you back to my father's house and we will dwell there for eternity at the great wedding feast of the lamb. That's the way heaven is described in the very last chapter of the Bible. So from the very front cover, Adam and Eve uniting in a one flesh marriage to the very end of this wedding banquet of the lamb, you have a story of God uniting himself to his people in a divine marriage. And that's really good news because that means that God's relationship with us is a covenant it's not based on romantic feelings it's not based on how happy we make god we disappoint him we cause him to be angry but thank goodness there's something deeper that our relationship with the lord is based on and that's covenant faithfulness
1: we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316 thanks for waiting so patiently ursula on the south coast of new south wales hello ursula welcome along
3: Oh, good good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I am so, so thankful that you are mentioning the covenantal aspect of marriage. I just can't thank you enough because that's something I did not realize in my youth and made shipwreck of part of my life. And if it hadn't been for God's grace, never mind. We all know the story. Um, but, yeah, the church... It should be, hopefully, will be in the future, a, um, a good place where young people can learn this, other than the family. You know, I mean, we've tried to teach our children this. But the other, the other aspect of our life in general, I think it, that's sort of very crucial for this. Is uh, 1 Corinthians 6:19-20. We are not our own, and of course, it applies to other aspects like how we handle our money and, you know, our life in general. But, you know, if we really had that down pat, uh, that you know, we do not belong to ourselves we're bought with a price, then, you know, our approach to lots of things, and especially marriage, can be very different, and a lot of agony of choice could be saved us uh, by saying, well, you know, I'm doing it God's way. That's my only choice. It's the choice I made.
1: Ursula, wonderful thoughts. Let's get a response from Ryan.
2: Yeah, it's such a crucial point in seeing that uh, the purpose, the goal, where are love relationships are supposed to lead and point to on earth are ultimately toward this relationship, this covenant relationship between Christ and the church. And the apostle Paul says that much. Um, That's why when when Karen and I got married, we had inscribed on the inside of our wedding ring, for and until Christ. Our marriage ultimately is for Christ. It's to show It's to to testify to the world the kind of covenant love that's possible and available between God and his people. Um, And so to keep young people, to, to keep their minds and their understandings oriented toward that end goal, that ultimately our earthly love stories are meant to participate. They're meant to be caught up in and to reflect this larger love story.
1: Ursula from the south coast of New South Wales, thanks so much for waiting so patiently and for great input here today on 2020. Our talkback line is open on one 316 Let's hear from Jason in Moorlbark in Victoria. Hello, Jason. Welcome along. Good
4: morning, um, Neil and also Ryan. What are morning. your thoughts, Jason? My thoughts, I have a girlfriend called Melissa. And we've been talking about marriage for some time. Next next um, Monday is our anniversary. It is our tenth anniversary since we got back together.
2: Very good. Congratulations.
4: And all I can say is, I've been saying to Melissa, would I always say to Melissa, "Would you think it's God's one?" And she always and she agrees. And I said, "God's one of the odds." And your book will be interesting and. I think it's going to help or benefit, bless a lot of people. And may God bless you, Ryan and Karen.
2: Ah, Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Jason,
1: I- thank you so much for your uh, encouraging feedback because when you hear a conversation like this one today, uh, it's a challenge to the way we think, Ryan. And so to hear that feedback from Jason to say, uh, we've decided we're going to do this God's way. I mean, I suspect there might be others who are thinking, you know what, I need to get into this and uh, have a little bit more understanding because I want to do it God's way too. I didn't know there was a God's way when it comes to weddings and marriage, but this is the whole thing This is where this is such a challenge, isn't it?
2: Right. Well, the more that I've gone around probably over the past five or 10 years and, and talked about this story and, and our understanding of uh, the biblical story as, as a divine marriage, you know, people just, they come up and they say, that is so beautiful. How have I never heard that before? Why are we not Taught that before, and so I, I think it's I, again we we were made for this, we were wired for this, and I think when when people hear the story, they resonate deeply with it. Um, it's it's it's. It's the deepest passion, I think, that, that human beings have.
1: And one thing I think, too, that resonates
2: uh, is that you
1: are a demonstrated model of actually putting this into practice. Now you've written about it, and your story is available for others to read as well. But uh, but it must have been quite challenging, even for your own family, uh, for your friends, uh, that you were going to be doing something completely different to the ordinary way that people do that culturally. It,
2: it was. We we got some looks when when we did certain things. One of the things we did when we were at university was we fasted once a week for our relationship. So every Thursday uh, we fasted and, you know, it was strange because Thursday would always be the day where there was free food available <laughs> on campus. So it just yep. somehow it worked out that way. But when we would say, no, you know, we we're we're not going to we're not going to eat that way and then explain why we kind of got some looks, you know, the pre-engagement uh, thing, raised some eyebrows, even with the pastor that we asked to do it, um, we even, once we were engaged, we, we said, you know what, we, we want to take the in- preparation intentionally. So we went to a parenting class before we were even married. And got some strange looks. <laughs> but There's, it all fits together in a beautiful If story. you're
1: planning to do this God's way, you might do things in a different order. And uh, we'll be back to continue our conversation. The Talkback line open 1-800-316-316, talking about a new book called In Love, The Larger Story of Sex and Marriage. Why don't we take some calls? We've got some calls who have been waiting patiently. Let's take one from Colin in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Colin. Welcome along to 2020.
5: Thank you, Neil, and praise our Heavenly Father that you are there every morning.
1: <laughs> I praise him for that too.
5: Yeah, I, I just want to share just a little bit of my story. Sure. My, my wife and I have 28 and a half years of marriage, Ooh, and um, we, we, were, we were blessed by our wedding date was 6 eight eighty 6 being man and 3 eighths being God, right? Um, that, that, that just that's just a quirky thing for us, our biblical, biblical numerics. Okay, good. But okay, but also my wife, because now that I have been struck down with a an incurable disease, I cannot work anymore. She has a nickname. I she has two nicknames. Her first nickname is Proverbs thirty one, the whole ver all the verses, and also she um has another nickname before Proverbs 31 that I thought of. She's my better half called seven-eighths. Okay. Did you understand that?
1: I'm not sure on the seven-eighths. I know the Proverbs 31 woman is a wonderful picture of uh, biblical womanhood. What is the seven-eighths? Uh, just explain that just very quickly for us.
5: She is my better half, seven-eighths. So, so seven of the... Uh, one eight seven half of it.
1: She's my better half. It's understand? it's a different way to describe half, isn't it? But uh, yes. but I can see I can hear the sentiment uh, that you're conveying there that that she is almost everything, and uh, your appreciation for her is uh, higher than uh, you can possibly even describe because you can't say fifty fifty. You're saying seven eighths. Uh, let's get some thoughts from Ryan. Ryan, your thoughts on what Colin is sharing.
2: Well, I think that um, Colin tells a story that's similar to many marriages, is that you will come to a point in life where um, you need something deeper than uh, romantic love. Uh, There might be an illness, there might be an unexpected tragedy, and at that point, the the self-giving love of husband to wife or wife to husband really needs to be the dna of the marriage and it sounds like colin has has found that and and what a blessing that is um but that's what i think we need to help young people understand that they are entering into what they are signing up for in marriage is a relationship in which they will be called upon to give of themselves at a future date when it might not feel good when it might not be easy Um, and if they can say yes to that then they're then they're ready it needs to be something deeper than just the butterflies in the stomach.
1: Colin from Mackay, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. one 316 316 if you'd like to join our conversation. Before we move on, uh, there are some wedding vows uh, that we often use, and there are traditional wedding vows, uh, for better, for worse, uh, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Uh, those sorts of things, they become part of a covenant because vows made at a wedding – Uh, They become part of a covenant. And so when you strike uh, the situation where you're struck down with a a debilitating disease or even your life is threatened and it may soon end, uh, like Colin, uh, you're able to rely on the terms of the covenant that happened on your wedding day. And for Colin, that was 28 years ago. But it really does illustrate, doesn't it, the value of those
2: vows? That's one very important thing about a covenant. It is that it is permanent. It is lifelong it is come what may <laughs> it is no matter what and you're right it, it is very appropriate and I think very important to articulate those vows um, at, at a wedding ceremony today I, I hear more and more of the language of as long as we both shall love well that's not covenant language uh, what if you fall out of love well then you know we say, well love is over and so our marriage is over but as long as we both shall live, that's signing up for a covenant bond, a permanent, lifelong covenant bond. That's the sort of relationship God has committed to his people. And that's what we need to reflect in our marriages.
1: Taking calls on one eight hundred 316 Let's hear from Shelby in Sunnybank in Queensland. Hello, Shelby.
4: Hey, yeah, Neil. How you going, buddy? And Right. Uh, Mate, it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. It's fantastic to hear. Um... I wish I had more of this information uh, when I was uh, married in my late teens. Um, (laughs) It is just incredible to hear what's going on here with your book and and what what's the shows what you're saying here. Um, I just think that um, this world, uh, let alone Australia, needs this so much. The community needs this so much because um, I don't think this real. Marriage for engagement vow, a covenant, as well as marriage vow covenants, are are thought of and deeply made. It's a shame that we have these uh, celebrities that do these celebrants, etc., that do these um, weddings, and none of this has none of this thought is put to it. Uh, We should go really revival back to the original, (laughs) as you guys have done. It seems amazing what you've done for yourselves, little, and what you're doing for others. And this world needs to go back revival, right back to the basis of the covenants of um, of our engagements, let alone marriages. Hey,
1: Shelby, thank you so much for your input there. Your response, Ryan.
2: I, I really appreciate that, Shelby. And and you're right. I think our times have revealed what happens with marriage when it moves away from that sort of understanding of you know a a covenant bond yes supported buffeted encouraged inspired by romantic feelings god gave us those for a reason they're good but uh we're, we're we're seeing now what happens when a culture boils down marriage to just those feelings and you marriage is just your relationship with 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 your number one person. That's how, that's how some people describe it. And that can allow all sorts of different relationships to be confused with marriage. Uh, but we need to, I agree with you, we need to bring this back, and look at um, the underlying story that gives marriage its meaning, and that is a story of covenant love.
1: Thank you so much to Shelby, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. if you'd like to join in our conversation. And while there are those big dimensions, Ryan, uh, where we talk about God and his covenant with humanity and the shedding of the blood, the cutting of the covenant, a God who's going to uphold his end of the covenant no matter what, whether we are faithful or not faithful, he is going to uphold uh, that covenant. When we think of our own marriage in terms of this and we think of how we usually get that marriage underway with a wedding, what happens at the wedding becomes very important because this is uh, the significance as to the elements that happen in the wedding that can determine the, the commitment that you've made to one another for your entire future. Your wedding looked a little bit different to what some people's
2: wedding uh, tends to look today. D-
1: describe those differences for us.
2: Sure. Well, we 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 describe this in the book not only with words but also with some some photos of our engagement and our wedding. We, we did a we incorporated a couple things into both of those events. Uh, one was sipping from the cup. So when I proposed to Karen, I poured a cup of wine, I handed it to her, and I said, "This cup represents a covenant in blood." And her taking that cup and sipping from it was an, an enactment of her acceptance of, of marriage. I also, uh, during our engagement, uh, washed her feet. So I had a, a little bowl of water and a towel, and um, I did that to express the sort of self-giving love that Christ demonstrated to his disciples at the Last Supper when he gave them the cup of wine and said, this cup represents a new covenant in blood. We, we did both of those things at our wedding as well. Um, so during the wedding, my dad came forward. He poured a wine into that same cup that we had used at our engagement. And I turned to Karen and, and said those words, and, and she sipped from the cup, and then I sipped from the cup. And then while my sister sang um, the servant song, I washed Karen's feet during during the wedding ceremony, um, just to to give an embodiment to the sort of love and the sort of covenant we were talking about.
1: Well, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today. Uh, so much to cover, so many dimensions to what we're talking about today, Ryan. Let me talk to you about the title of the book called In Love. Now, yes, the title of the book goes a little further than that, too. And, uh, of course, you're talking about the larger story of sex and marriage. But we're talking about In Love. That's really the title of the book. But people don't understand love in the same way that you're talking about it. There's this sort of misunderstanding in our culture today. And given all of the controversies that are going on, uh, with same-sex marriage, the, the push for that, uh, with this idea of, uh, you know, isn't it just wonderful that people who love one another should be able to marriage? Well, uh, well, that's not the sort of love that you're talking about. Do we need a deeper appreciation of uh, a definition of what this
2: word really means to us? I really think you've put your, your finger on, on one of the most important issues. Uh, it seems today that our culture has reduced love down to an emotional feeling. It's a sentiment. It's a, it's an, it's a noun. It, it names it a feeling. And we've based marriage on that sort of love. And those are, I think, two big problems. Uh, if you, again, if you go back to the biblical story and allow that to inform our understanding of love, in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul uses uh, 15 different words there to describe love. In our English translations, they often sound uh, like predicate adjectives or nouns, love is patient, love is kind. But in the original text, every single one of those 15 words that Paul uses is a verb. So a big theme of the book is to try to think about love as an action, as an activity, as something you commit to doing, not just something that you feel. And we need to base marriage on that sort of action, not just on a sort of felt attraction. Uh, And, and, So, when Karen and I were trying to get our minds around this, we said, let's try to avoid using language in which love is assumed to be a feeling. So, we began to not use the phrase fall in love. Instead, we began to talk about falling into infatuation, (laughs) falling into feeling, you know, that sort of thing, which is good. That leads you to the point that inspires you to get to know each other so that you can come to the point of making a commitment of deciding to serve the good of the other person. That is love.
0: Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about a new book called In
1: Love, the larger story of sex and marriage. The author is Dr. Ryan Messmore. He is our guest in the studio. I know uh, there'll be listeners saying, I need to hear this conversation again to take in all of the dimensions I know someone in my own family or my friends or my workmates who will need to hear this conversation. Let me encourage you, we will have this conversation on a podcast later this afternoon when you go to the 2020 page at vision.org.au. Ryan, uh, let's take another call. Let's hear from Janelle in Kingaroy in Queensland. Hello, Janelle. Welcome along.
6: Thank you. Hello. How are you?
1: Very well, Janelle. What are your thoughts?
6: Uh, I just wanted to thank Ryan as as well for um, what he's doing in his book. It's fantastic. I just wanted to uh, flag how you can talk to young people, uh, even Christians, who, because of the infiltration of the way the world thinks into the church, um, you know, the whole living together thing um, is not seen as anything bad. And, And how can we talk to young people as to how destructive this can be for what true marriage is according to God's way?
2: Yeah, great question, uh, Janelle. I think there's uh, a, a couple ways. I mean, there, there's a straightforward way in simply looking at statistics for cohabitation. I mean, it, it is an actual it, – it's been researched and it's been shown that if you live together before you're married, you reduce the chances that you will have a successful marriage. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so if if young people want a happy, healthy, successful marriage – Uh, they are hindering themselves by choosing to live together. Now, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a through-the-front-door approach, kind of very straightforward. Here's some data. Here's some statistics. That, That often doesn't prove to be powerful enough uh, nice. to overcome the emotional attraction <laughs> yes. to to live together. Th- that's why I'm, I'm trying to frame this entire book in the form of a story, of a yes. positive, beautiful narrative. That's what captures the imagination. Yes. And and I think we're going to have to become better at doing that as a church yes. if we're going to want to reach young people. Okay. So so I, I kind of save the ethics of all of this until you know the last chapter or two right. and, and just kind of put forward, here, here's – Here's a real flesh and blood story, and yes. here's how it, it changed our lives, and we hope mm-hmm. it can change yours. And it, if we can pull people in and attract them through the story, then the ethics will simply be the, the natural outcome, uh, mm-hmm. of the logical implications of that story. So that, that's my preferred route. Of course, the statistics and the arguments are important, but I think we need to capture them with a story. Say, hey, you want a beautiful love story. Yes. Everybody wants a beautiful love story.
6: Yes. Um, the, listen the to this one. Thing. Sorry, I was going to ask another question. Is that okay? Sure.
1: Yep, yep. You're still on, uh, on, line, uh, on air, uh, Janelle.
6: Yes, thank you. Just the other question was, um, because there's so many Christian marriages breaking up, a lot of young people are saying, what's the point of getting married anyway when people who are supposedly doing it right um, are getting it wrong anyway?
1: Can I just say before your response there, Ryan, that there is a misnomer in the idea of Christian marriages breaking up at the same rate as those who are outside the church. And there's been some research done in this area as well uh, that show that uh, people who are conducting their marriage on Christian foundations connected with a local church, actually have strong and flourishing marriages. And uh, there is a, a rumor that seems to float around, and uh, wherever it comes up, I'm always addressing it, uh, that somehow or other divorce in the church is the same rate as outside the church. It's just not true. And you can, uh, can Google some things. You'll find some articles about that. Uh, but your response
2: uh, to what Janelle is sharing there, uh, there Ryan? I've heard the same thing that you're describing, Janelle. Young people looking around them and saying, "You know what? <laughs> this seems to be a lot of work and a lot of heartache and a lot of brokenness." And you can count me out. I'm I'm quite okay on my own. Thank you very much. And I'll I can get the sex and I can get the, the whatever else, um, but I I don't want the marriage. And I think again, we we simply have to um, show that this, the longing for covenant union. I think, is one of the deepest wirings uh, within a human being. Um, We were made in the image of a God who binds himself covenantally, maritally, (laughs) to a people. We were made in the image. We were made for that. That doesn't mean that every every single person is going to find a spouse. It doesn't mean that some people are not called uh, to celibacy and singleness. But it does mean that that there's a deep longing in most of us for that sort of partnership, for that sort of covenant union. And so if we can help people to do that well, if we can show that there are resources, there are different ways of thinking about it, um, and that God promises to help if we allow our story to participate in his larger story, then I think that that we can attract young people, you know, that what we're what we're talking about is something different than the marriages you're seeing. Uh, around you, that there there is a better way.
1: Janelle from Arroy, thank you so much for your great questions. And uh, we are running out of time very quickly. Uh, Ryan, before we let you go, let me just uh, come back to the title of your new book. And it's so new uh, that uh, you'll likely be able to get a hold of it. uh, But uh, some of the sites that you go to might actually say it's a book that's still coming. Uh, There is a launch that's happening on the 7th of March at the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane and uh, you'll be able to hear Ryan speaking about the book on that launch that'll happen between 5 and 6 at the Christian Heritage College on the 7th of March the two places that Ryan says the book is available through connorcourt.com and amazon.com now the title of the book is In Love the larger story of sex and marriage. And uh, it's been our great pleasure today to have uh, the author of that book, Dr. Ryan Messmore, and talking about his own marriage to his wife, Karen, Ryan and Karen Messmore. And, uh, Ryan, uh, just as we uh, we conclude here, uh, it is your story, and I suspect some people will say, well, I knew there was a vague uh, connection there to the biblical idea, but really I wanted to see somebody who's actually... Uh, taken those principles and run with them in our day, and you 've done that, so my congratulations to you and Karen in having been able to go through a process which is in a leadership way going to set the uh, set the the new parameters for people yeah. as they think about getting married
2: well, i I appreciate that I, we certainly have not known it perfectly. Um, we certainly you know have made our mistakes along the way, but it has been such an encouragement to us. To see our marriage within this larger story, that we want to to share that with others and hope that it encourages them, uh, again not to base their marriage, not to base everything on falling in love, but rather to participate in love being the nature of the triune God Himself. That we live and move and have our being in a God whose very nature is love, and that true happiness, true freedom, true liberation. <laughs> a true joy is to be found in that sort of love.
1: The book is called In Love, The Larger Story of Sex and Marriage. Ryan Messmore, thanks so much for taking time to share your heart with our listeners today. Thank you, Neil.
0: Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported.